0: Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Today we have friend of the show, Jack White, back on the program, along with a very special visit from one of my favorite artists of all time. If you missed our last conversation with Jack, Brennan Benson, and the rest of the Tours, I highly recommend going back to listen. This conversation, like the one before, is full of fascinating ideas, asides, and musical history that lets you know just how deep a cat Jack White really is. It's as if he's tapped into some sort of endless creative energy and inspiration. And some of that inspiration, he tells Rick in this conversation, is still emanating from his youth. Jack also has a work ethic and a business ethos unlike most. His label, Third Man Records, has a rich roster of artists with three retail stores in Detroit, Nashville, and London. They also own one of the few fully operational vinyl pressing plants in the U.S., which has been working overtime lately to keep up with the surging demand for vinyl. Jack also released two full-length albums this year that perfectly document his present creative life. And he's on a worldwide tour promoting those records. After a recent two-night stand in LA, Jack stopped by Shangri-La to speak with Rick Rubin about the early garage rock scene in Detroit that helped shape him, what makes the Seven Nation Army guitar riff one of the greatest earworms of all time, and then Jack treats Rick and a legendary surprise guest to an acoustic performance of his new song, A Tip From You To Me. And to cap it all off, we'll hear exclusive details about an exciting new project Rick's been working on that'll be out soon this is broken record liner notes for the digital age i'm justin richmond here's rick rubin and jack white from shangri-la are you on the road now
2: yeah we just did uh these last two nights we played in town and then uh, uh day off today so uh great yeah so you said hey so I thought, oh it'd be a good time because i've been wanting to have an excuse to come out here again and what's the current band situation so three guys with me drums bass and keys and guys you've played with before? Yes. Uh, Dominic Davis, who's on bass, and he, we've been playing together since we we're like 13. We, we go way back to Detroit. And mm-hmm. um, uh, Daru Jones on drums, and who's probably, I think, really like, the most unique drummer around today, really. And uh, then Quincy McCrary plays keys and, and sings harmonies too. Great. debate so, debated going on as a three piece. I always wanted to do that. And I got to try that out on um, when we did Saturday Night Live. Uh, yeah year or half ago or whatever it was it um that was a good moment because we weren't pushing anything or anything so we we did that and i felt oh wow that would be nice to tour as a trio but but then there's a whole like bank of like 40 songs that have keyboards that we wouldn't really be able yeah. to perform and yeah. that we have to just kind of cross that off the possible do you possible feel uh, an
3: obligation to have keyboards in a keyboard song though could no. you basically do a three-piece band cover of
2: yes i would <laughs> love that my, my my worry was that you know, I even worried about that in the noise choice, which was breaking things up and sometimes playing keys or synth on a song or acoustic on a song so it wasn't the same. You're not yeah. hearing the same tones yeah, over yeah, yeah. and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. That's always my concern. And uh, I don't want things to sound wimpy either. You know, So sometimes um, I love an acoustic track, but playing it live, you're in that room and it's you just got done playing three very fast rock and roll songs and you feel yeah. like, oh, I'm, I'm... You can't tell if you're losing them, yeah. the audience, or or if they're actually just... If they're actually listening, just paying attention <laughs> yeah. more or something, you know. And so it's hard to you know. But I like that because it keeps me on edge the whole time. Like, yeah. What's your
3: relationship to rocking material versus non-rocking material in general?
2: Yeah, I sometimes think that the things that I like more are not as appealing to other people. <laughs> like I, for example, a great example is I. I really can would just like to be a drummer, you know. Yeah. And I, but I know that. My drumming is just, you know, it doesn't capture people and and, and capture their attention and and make them go, "Wow, wait a minute," you know, or you know, or like I I play piano, but no one considers me a piano player by any means. Mm -hmm. I I definitely wouldn't claim that either. But it, for some reason, when I play guitar, it connects with people and they they come back with feedback and they give me feedback and want to push me to keep doing that. Where that's the one instrument for the, uh, I like, that was, that the last one I would pick was guitar, you know? Yeah. I mean, just like everybody plays guitar and it's been done a million times. And how, how do you have your own voice and uniqueness to it? And maybe because of my sort of carelessness about that, maybe by accident, there's some uniqueness ended up happening because of me sort of thinking, oh, whatever, I guess. Interesting. It's like, if you wanted, or if you wrote a poem and you could read it out loud and you maybe could get a few people to pay attention and get something out of it and connect with some other people. If you put it to a melody and sing those words as a reading then all of a sudden you got more people paying attention possibly. And then if you put music behind it and then a rhythm behind it, who knows? You could go to Mm -hmm. a billion people could be interested in. I think that's kind of the way I feel I like, okay, this is the window to, if I can tell the story to you, if I need to use this instrument to do it, okay, if that's what you want, okay, uh, uh, let's do that.
3: Can you imagine with your love of drums, could you imagine playing drums for a band that already connected with people on a different level, where it wasn't on you to be the connector, oh, but you could just be the drummer? It'd be great. It'd be
2: great. Yeah, I, I play drums in my band, The Dead Weather, and I'm the drummer in that band, but it's a darker band. It's, a, it's more esoteric and darker. So it's not really, we never intended to have it, a lot, uh, hoping it had a large popular reach or anything like that. Mm-hmm which sounds like a cynical, like hipster thing to say, like on purpose trying not to, you know, uh, whatever, but it really wasn't that way. I'm saying that because I, I didn't, wasn't expecting, oh, great, the heat's off me. Yeah. I can just drum. But um, yeah, it would be wonderful. You know, it would be wonderful
3: to be that. Tell me about your relationship to success in terms of when you're writing, do you ever think who's going to like this or what's the right presentation to make somebody respond?
2: I, early on, uh, coming out of the sort of the garage rock scene in Detroit, uh, it was a lot of people who were talented, who were keeping themselves down on purpose or, or boxing themselves in, in a weird uh, way of not wanting it to succeed in any way or to mm-hmm. grow in any bigger way. I always thought that's a really strange thing. It's almost like a painter who never puts his paintings up on the wall or, or, or puts them in a, a gallery. I mean, if you're not sharing with other people, you know, I why? guess what's the point in a yeah. way? You're just doing it by yourself. Maybe you should just stay, stay at home or something. Mm-hmm. and That's just a hobby. Again. Mm-hmm. But if you're going up on stage and you're putting out a record with your name on it or whatever, it feels like you're already in that world anyway. You're already sharing with other people. Mm-hmm. I guess people always say something like, doesn't it make you mad that they play your Seven Nation Army song at sports stadiums? <laughs> Why would that make me <laughs> it's, mad? It's incredible. I, mean, I think Kurt Cobain sort of brought a little bit more of that to the, to the surface of punk rock guilt where you're, uh, he, he may have felt, felt guilty about the attention
1: yeah.
2: from what I hear or from yes. what's always gathered about yes. him. And I felt like that was definitely a vibe in the sort of the hipster garage rock world that we came out of was that you're almost supposed to be ashamed if something worked out well.
3: Yeah, it's odd. And it's an really odd, odd.
2: It's an odd way of thinking about
3: it. Mm. I think there's some belief, and, and I, do not, I do not subscribe to this yeah. belief, that if something's successful, it can't be good. Right, and right, i right. and I don't think that's right, I really don't think that's right, no, I think it's not a yeah. lot of the stuff that's successful, I might not like, yeah, but things do break through that are amazing, yeah, and those are the
2: revolutionary things, yes, I mean, there'll be times where there'll be a pop song where you might instantly hear it and be cynical about it and say, "Oh, God, give me a break, you know, or a cliche or it's a, a pretentious or something like that, and then what like what I'll do is I'll realize, well, you know. That's hard, man. That's really hard. If you want to sit down and write a hit yeah. that's going to be number one on the charts or whatever, especially nowadays, that's no easy task. And um, so then you have to give credit for that. Like, hey, even if mm-hmm. you don't like it, you got to give someone credit. They, they actually made it work. They figured it out. Yeah. Even if they wanted to do it every single time, they couldn't do it. So you start thinking about it that way. And then maybe sometimes, like, time passes and you start realizing, wow, that was really a important beautiful thing that happened when that song became popular even novelty songs yes like i think of songs in the 80s that i thought were just you know these novelty goofy things that were on the radio that now when i look back i'm like wow damn you know uh, take on me by aha incredible wow Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> think about the the structure of the melody of that vocal alone let alone the production of it you know, if you would ask me when I was whatever, 10, 12, whatever. But now I I have immense respect for certain things like that. And it's, it's funny that those things click with you at at times, but I guess it's part of the craft when you get get yourself involved in the craft and you care about it and you're open-minded. Yeah. I feel like maybe everyone has a choice. Like as they age, you you have a choice to go down this darker road where you become more and more closed-minded and more cynical and more hateful of anything that's different. And, and, and scarier or imposing, or you 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 stay down this road where you get more and more open minded more and more enlightened as you go because you want to keep experiencing and you want to meet new people and and hear new things it 's almost an, some kind of unconscious choice, yeah, I used to think when I was younger, hey, you know some old timer uh uh, musicians come into town and they're playing this club and we go see them and say, hey, come and talk to us after the show and they wouldn't want to. Yeah. Or, and I would think, God, that would be terrible. I wonder why they're so grumpy and grouchy. Well, now, <laughs> wait, I can see <laughs> now why. That now that you're yeah. grumpy and grouchy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see that was like there's been moments in my life where I could definitely have gone down that road like when yeah. I finished my show and get in a car and go yeah. to the hotel yeah. and not talk to anybody. Yeah. I could see someone making that choice and yeah. why they would make that choice. Yeah. But you have to sort of shake that off. And like, yeah, but you miss so much. And in, in, in a way, it's like a giving up for, selfish, you know, for selfishness.
3: You know, also, it is a grueling, I imagine it's grueling on the road, mm. just like having to do it all the time. Yeah, yeah. And there's only so much energy and you want the show to be good every night. Yeah. So it seems like everything other than the show might suffer yeah. for the show to be all that it could be.
2: Yeah, when I see acts that are sort of maybe doing the same set every night and they have the pyrotechnics go off in song three and all that, yeah. I get a little jealous because I don't have a set list in my set. So when I see that, I'm like, oh man, that would be so easy and it would be so nice. You just go up there or, or say someone who stands still and sort of just can sing. Yeah. Like Willie Nelson doesn't really need to do anything. He didn't do acrobatics or anything. That voice is it, he's got it. It doesn't even probably require too much energy to push it out of himself. And it's amazing every time, you know, I, don't amazing. That, you know? yeah. I don't have that. I don't have a singer's voice, I'm not a singer and I'm not even that kind of the character vocalist of like a Willie. I, I feel like to make something, it's a Wednesday night in Poughkeepsie and you want this show to be great as it was, yeah. you know. Uh, Saturday night in New York city. Yeah. And uh, well, what am I gonna do? And um, first you have to care. You know? Absolutely. And there's another fork in the road where you find these moments where like, wow, you can see easily how quickly you'd want to give up and just go stay in the tour bus. Blah blah. I remember someone telling me that they were like, Yeah, I used to look at the shows like, you know, two more songs and I get to go watch TV on the tour bus and one more song and wow, get out of here. I'm like, oh, Count please, wow. God, don't let that happen to me. Yeah, you know, that would be I would, I would just, I know what I would do, I just wouldn't tour anymore. Yeah, and I, I, I can't
3: imagine be. the shows are very good if that's the attitude can't of the be.
2: performer. Can't be, I get it, yeah, yeah. or say if. What's popular now, Vegas residencies are popular now. Yeah. And I can get the appeal of that, you know, like maybe there's artists, like they get paid already, no matter who shows up, the, it's the same dressing room every night. You get to f- take a private jet home to LA every night if you want to, or all these benefits and niceties mm-hmm. and stuff. So I could see all that. Uh, but then I think, oh, man, I don't know if that would work for me. I I, I would feel like I gave up like I, for my own personal music. No judgment on that. No, of like course. Some people that makes if you're Tom Jones, that's, that's it, man. That's yeah. that's the way to go for what he's doing. And I mean, he's he's got the pipes for that. And maybe it would work for a Willie Nelson, and in, in a way, in, in in the right environment or something. But uh, maybe for me, I would think, oh, man, how would how could I do that and not give up and and make it a yeah. different show every night and have energy to it? That would almost be a, its own challenge in its and own. That sounds right, really you know? fun. Like that's could be, a, a uh, fun could be interesting fun way to yeah. do it. Have you ever seen Willie live?
3: Yes, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. incredible. It's great. It's incredible. Yeah. It's it's not what I expected before before I'd ever seen him. Yeah. I assumed it was going to be more like a country concert. Yeah. And it was more like a Ramones concert other than the fact that he the songs that he's singing but yes. it was Song on top of song on yeah. top
2: of song on t- it, yes. it, it was
3: relentless and then yeah they do this like they'll do like a little
2: build up that you think would be like God it's almost like wimpy for a second and so like whiskey river don't run dry and you're like damn that that took he didn't even really raise his voice no. but all of a sudden the energy went bam like maybe with one little snare hit yeah and um, so much to learn from that and him as a guitar player. Ridiculous. so punk rock yeah so punk i mean that guy his guitar solos if, if you haven't listened to a willie nelson guitar solo you know anybody uh, i always say god man just type in willie nelson guitar solo on the internet and, and listen to what he does you you won't believe it at first you're yeah. like wait what yeah. you know and um it, it is so punk and so carefree and such a rebellious uh thing that I just kind of can't believe he 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 got away with that. Even in the, even in the, the different environments he's worked in all the time, it's like, damn, that's a real rebellious outsider way to to attack the guitar. You know? yeah, absolutely. And and the instrument he plays, this strange acoustic electric hybrid that has a matching amp, yeah, built by like Wurlitzer or some I forget what company made it, yeah. but it's a bizarre instrument that he chose uh, that nobody else has as well. So very unique. I wouldn't have thought to ask this before, but you
3: talked about a, a song that plays in, in soccer stadiums. Mm. Have you ever tried to analyze what it is about Seven Nation Army mm. that has transcended not only the rest of your work, mm. but the rest of any rock artist's work of, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like it's, it's, it, it has had a really unusual life. Bizarre. Yeah. Anything that you've noticed, maybe from playing it live, anything in mm-hmm. you know being a uh, someone who studies music, you know, we we the, we mm-hmm. our
2: passion is to study music. Yeah. We lo-
3: we love trying to understand why it does what it does. I've, you have I've, any I've thoughts?
2: Heard, I've heard lots of opinions about it over the years. Yeah. You know, some being really positive and and feeling like it's groundbreaking. Other people trying to sort of like take it away from me, or or I, I say I copied something to, or on the negative side, and other people thinking that. It's possibly, you know, I don't know what the word is, but, you know, something like when music is a, related to a heartbeat or um, that mm-hmm. it's, it, it has an organicness to it that, we, that maybe just got accidentally unearthed in, in that mm-hmm. scenario. But I did read an article once about why do we like music at all from a scientist's point of view. And it was, you know, really scientific and methodical. And it was an interesting thing. Uh, the theory in this article was. The brain is trying to make patterns and and make sense of patterns and that we we find a thrill in when we can complete the melody pattern in our head or guess what it's going to be you know you can guess if you go i know what the last two notes are going to be you know uh, maybe that's a pleasantness to that and then when you don't do that waiting for something yeah resolve it and then maybe that gets into, like, why horror films are appealing to people. Like, it shouldn't, on paper, be like, well, why would you want to be scared? That doesn't make any sense. But we, do, we like it. We find it a thrill. And maybe that Seven Nation Army with the, the melodies... There seems to be two moments in there, if I were to analyze it. Yeah. And I'm just taking a yeah, yeah. guess. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. But uh, this is, you know... That sounds like you're going to go up, like... Or something yeah, like that. That's on the way up. But you go up and then you quickly change direction. You know, dun, dun, dun. Now I'm going back down. That gets you to pay attention. Yeah, so wait, what's hey, how's it going to resolve? Did ch-
3: why did it change direction?
2: Exactly, why did it change direction? So then you got... And then this next one is sort of what I think is maybe like the horror movie thing then. Like, whoa, okay, I guess I agree to that. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's yeah, not an yeah. actual full result. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. like, yeah, I can, yeah. I, can, I can deal with that. Your brain can maybe say, yeah, I can deal with it. I don't know. It's just a guess that maybe maybe yeah. those two little moments are what. Is it the riff? Would you say the the song is the riff? Yes, yeah. Okay. The funny thing was that I was at the time. I remember saying to Meg, this will be great. I, I want the challenge for me right now is I want to write a song with no chorus and, and make it something people like that doesn't have any chorus. Yeah. So that was at that moment the challenge in the studio. Very briefly, we didn't, we didn't spend much time on that song, you know. And, uh, but I remember that being like, oh, this will be great. I won't write a chorus for this. Doesn't need one. Or we'll just keep hammering this and then we'll play off the, the loud quietness of maybe the grunge era can be part of that. And there's also slide guitar in it too. And it's also sort of like a bass, but I'm not really playing bass. I'm playing a detuned guitar. So there was like, yeah, that's enough for things that I think are interesting. It's so interesting. Did you play guitar? Um, Barely, like punk rock, you know, like rudimentary guitar.
1: Who plays guitar on uh,
2: on like uh, the Beastie Boys? uh, I played guitar on that. On on that first album? That's you. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I really, I thought you were going to say some studio guy's name. Great. What guitar did you use for that? I had
3: an SG Junior 56 SG Junior. Nice.
4: <laughs> and that
3: was that was my main guitar. And then I remember I saw Slayer and I was really impressed with Slayer and, and um and I met them and Kerry King got me a Kerry King guitar, like yeah. a real like a real metal guitar. Yeah. And I think I might have played one solo on that I can't I can't remember exactly but I remember I had that and then I ended up sending the guitar back after using it on the album oh (laughs) shoot yeah because I didn't really like it but I was just like oh this is fun for this kind of a thing yeah 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 but yeah why
2: didn't Ed rock play why did you play guitar on that I don't really know yeah I don't really know wasn't
3: also the concept of the Beastie Boys as rappers
2: Maybe they just did had no it, instrumentation it, it at that moment. It wasn't yeah.
3: supposed to be that. Because like, yeah, yeah. when they played, it was more like what the Beastie Boys, the band sounded the punk, like. Yeah. And we were punk. doing something really different than that. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I always had a, a sneaking suspicion, like when I was like 18 or nothing. I was like, I get the feeling after I heard their punk records, I get the feeling like they did this rap thing because they thought it was funny yeah. at first, and then it just actually worked. So they stuck with it, Uh, and people really dug it. I think what happened, honestly, for all of us was we were
3: all into punk rock, yeah, and then hip hop happened, and it's like hip hop really took over for punk rock for us in real, like as fans.
2: Sure, yeah. yeah, So it just
3: became more. It seemed disingenuous to keep making punk rock when all we did was listen to and love hip hop. Right, and that was the the new
2: thing. That, that was, was new the thing. new punk rock. Yeah, really. yeah. yeah. and and, uh, and
3: you know, it was for me. It was heavy metal before before like I loved heavy metal music or what what I call heavy metal music, which is really rock hard rock music. Sure, you know, I yeah. liked ACDC and Aerosmith and yeah. Ted Nugent and yeah. those guys. Yeah, and then when I heard. I guess the Ramones and then the Sex Pistols and then the Clash and then really Black Flag and mm-hmm. uh, and the Germs. And I listened
2: to much less hard rock once that started. Do you think um, like Walk This Way would have worked with and this isn't a God, yeah. I wish you would have tried. No, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just throwing out a hypothetical. Do you think that that song would have worked with any other band? Like if you had tried that with Led Zeppelin or Deep Purple or no. any other track no, or no. any other song? The no. reason that
3: Walk This Way worked had mostly to do with the vocal phrasing. That was the key. There were two pieces, okay, actually. Yeah. So the one, one key was, the inspiration for that was, I went to dinner in Los Angeles with a uh, head of a record company. yeah. Who was trying to uh, sign, you know, sign me? Yeah, and so he couldn't have been more like on good behavior and friendly. Yeah, and he said, you know, why do you think people like this rap stuff? Is I mean, after all, it's not music. Now he's mm-hmm. saying this to me as like, right, yeah, yeah, just completely oblivious. Yeah, that this is not yeah. why would anybody like this thing that's not music? Right, right, yeah. And I and I thought there's some way to bridge the gap. There's some way. Mm-hmm. So that that guy would understand what this is.
2: Sure. Right. And, right, right, and
3: right. I just started listening to records and think about okay, is there a record that's a, a familiar record that vocally is not so different from a rap record? Yeah. And the phrasing was, and it's not melodic.
1: Right. The it's verse. Not. He's it's speaking, it's, ju- it's spoken, really the yeah. phrase. Yeah. It's the
3: phrasing. Yeah. So it could have been um, what's the Dylan song? subterranean homesick yeah, blues. Yeah, it could have been that. That would have worked. Too much monkey business, Chuck yeah, Berry. Or, no, that could have worked.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's so yeah, interesting. Well, it was something
3: based on the phrasing. And then the extra added benefit for Walk This Way is that the drum break, the intro to the record was a drum break that you might hear in a hip-hop club in real yeah, life. Exactly. Like it was already yeah. considered in the hip-hop canon, not because of the song, but only because of the beat. Right. Right. So it was right, this right. magical combination of A hip hop friendly beat Mm -hmm. with hip hop friendly phrasing. Yeah, and and it really was just to to demonstrate. Oh, look! It's not that different. You know, this is not
2: foreign. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Whenever whenever there's a new style, a a lot of the time, as you look back through music history, the the the, it seems like the main uh, gripe from the majority of people is. This is a lowering of the bar. Yeah. This is a lowering since punk. All these guys don't know how to play their guitars, yeah. you know. But well, somehow, roll, same thing. You know, rock, rock and roll compared, compared to the big band before. Jazz. I thought I said, something about uh, they were asked Quincy Jones what the jazz guys thought of the Beatles when they first got to America and all that. Said, and he said something like, "Those were some no-playing motherfuckers." We yeah. thought, and everyone got kind of offended when he said that. And I thought oh, I shouldn't be offended by that because, I mean, stop for a second and think about the um, in complex. Chord changes and structures those jazz guys were doing and free flowing off of that and everything. And to hear guys come and play three chords, four yeah. chords and sing and everyone's going ape uh, and b- selling millions of records, it, it might make you a little bit like, geez, that's not, you know, wait a minute. But it's, all, it's like that kind of thing where people can walk into a museum and say, oh, I could paint that. Well, no, you couldn't. Yeah. You got to come up with that idea yeah, yeah. and then conceptual. you got to construct, yeah. construct it and um, the actual painting of the, at Jackson Pollock doesn't really matter, That, that the dripping part, whatever. Yeah. It's the same thing with punk rock. It's, it doesn't really matter about the, the notes. Of, 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 it's the, the attitude behind it. Yeah. You had to construct that attitude or, or or coerce it out of you from nothing, and then, that becomes more important than the uh, proficiency of the music and all that, but that's usually the same thing. The same thing with hip-hop, when it came along, he's not even playing instruments anymore. Mm. These aren't even instruments. Yeah. The funny thing now is like, I kind of feel like, you know, modern sort of a hip hop production and hip hop production. I'm taken back to the 80s. My feeling when I was 10, 12 years old, my feelings then were it bummed me out that my friends didn't know that was Led Zeppelin being sampled on the Beastie Boys album. Yeah. And it pissed me off that I knew that and they didn't know that. Yeah. And then when I tried to educate them about that and play them a Led Zeppelin song, they just shrugged their shoulders like, I don't care.
1: Yeah.
2: And I was like, it, you know, you know, like just as a young kid, I was like, if you like it, that's what's cool about it. Because it's, it's, so cool. it's our, we already know that uh, riff. And it's, yeah. it's, they're not even re-performing. They're actually sampling it. So that was frustrating to me as a kid that other people didn't. Or it would be like, uh, what was it, EPMD, I Shot the Sheriff yeah. or... Uh, now that's Eric Clapton covering Bob Marley. Yeah, and it's so nobody cool. else knew that in my neighborhood and they didn't care. And I struggled with that a lot. Like that bummed me out. I think now, I think it'd be safe to say if you played a hundred teenagers, the top 10 songs right now and asked them all, what is making this sound at this part of the song? Yeah. Who, who is performing this part of the, where Where is this sound you're hearing coming from? I, I, would, I would venture to guess and no diss on them, because why would they know? Yeah. That, that they wouldn't know uh, what, what's making the sound. And um, what is that like? That's sort of like, uh, you know, I guess you could call it, uh, some people would call it gatekeeping, where you'd say like, you must enjoy this the way I enjoy this, <laughs> or, or something like that. But I always feel like, oh, God, it would be, it would be sh- frustrating yes. to come up in the age right now as a teenager, as a musician who wants to play music and not know how to make the sound of that moment of this Kanye West song or something like that. Mm -hmm. But then the plus side, the positive side of it is they can easily look it up on the internet and find out if they're really resourceful and maybe recreate it themselves. Whereas in our day, we would have had to go to the library go to the music store ask somebody hey what makes an echo do this kind of echo and and then you'd have to do a lot of work to figure something out absolutely that's a dead beauty about right now you can find out really fast
3: for the question that you asked of like what's in the you know what's the instrument playing in these you know this sound in the top 10 chances are the answer to all of that is oh it's the computer
2: yeah exactly yeah (laughs) But I know when Rage Against Machine came out, when that was why I, I embraced that instantly was because I couldn't believe that guitar player was making his guitar sound like that. I even didn't believe it. There's no yeah, way yeah. he could make the guitar. You know, how is he making it that sound? It's very rare when you, when you hear an instrumentation where you, where you don't know. And you, and you know it's not some trick. You, you knew he's actually playing that yeah. uh, at that time, 92 or something. Those are the moments you savor. You want Absolutely. these moments. I wish I had them one, a, once the a bit, week. Like you
3: know? the bass...
2: Is so much of
3: like what we think of the guitar riff mm-hmm. is the bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. it's like Deep Purple. We think of these huge guitar riffs that are They're really organ, organ based. You know? Exactly. Yeah, it it tricks you because yeah. the, 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 yeah. the the sound your ear goes to the sound on top. Yeah, but sometimes the reason it has that scale and the reason you're impressed with it is, is because of the thing the, you think.
2: Yeah, the underneath, the growl underneath. That frustrates me now when I listen to earlier recordings I've done. Is that I wanted to get that underneath deep growl. And even in a two piece band like a White Stripes, I, I, uh, double tracking or, or adding something else didn't happen. And I didn't really know about subwoofer and, and double octave, you know, overdubbing and all these kind of things. That now these tricks I've learned over the years to bring these, those tones to fruition. But sometimes I think that at that time I was emulating maybe a deep purple sound yeah. that was coming from the growl of the Hammond organ yeah. and not from the guitar itself you know it takes a while to learn that stuff. absolutely and you might
3: find a new sound you know you're you're trying to get the deep purple
2: sound yeah. and you end up creating something new right they were trying to copy vanilla fudge yeah. uh, and and sound like them and they yeah. came up with their own big sound gigantic sound which i think sometimes is overshadowed by led zeppelin because uh, Uh,
0: And and I underappreciated what some of the stuff Deep Purple did. We'll be right back with more from Rick Rubin and Jack White.
4: Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com.
0: job is where America goes to hire
4: Hello, hello, Malcolm Grabwell here from Revisionist History. If you've watched a professional tennis match recently, you'll know that fans had this amazing new tool at their disposal. It was created by the consulting company Infosys and the Association of Tennis Professionals. It's an immersive 3D viewing experience for tennis fans, which allows them to watch matches from new angles, get real time statistics, and better understand the inner workings of the game and its athletes. Basically, a completely new, data-driven way to appreciate a tennis match. It's been a huge hit, and I'm proud to say that the Infosys Tennis Platform earned first place in the Customer Experience category at the Unconventional Awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event held at Mobile World Congress in Las Vegas, that celebrates customers who've boldly innovated for the sake of meaningful change. And I think it's important to point out that innovation like this doesn't just require a great idea and exploit some great underlying technology. It takes courage. Because tennis is a game with a long history and some pretty powerful traditions. I mean, you can only wear white at Wimbledon. Still, it's the 21st century. And here was an idea that said we can dramatically change the way a fan watches a match. We can feed them data. We can allow them to see things they could never see before with the naked eye or even conventional camera angles. If you want to turn a world upside down, you have to have a pretty strong backbone. That's a lot of what the T-Mobile for Business unconventional awards are all about. Finding people in companies who show that kind of boldness. I encourage you to enter. It's a fantastic event and a great way to be recognized for your brave outside-the-box thinking in front of the industry's most influential leaders, and an even better way to say, I told you so. You can enter by July 31st at t-mobile.com/unconventional Awards. That's T-mobile.com/unconventional Awards. See you there.
0: We're back with more from Rick Rubin's conversation with Jack White. Tell me about the, um, the world of music that you
3: were born into. I don't know much about the scene in Detroit when you were a kid. What's it? Yeah. Tell me the story.
2: Well, we had a um, you know, big family. My brothers liked a lot of rock and roll and you know Johnny Cash and Who and uh, Pink Floyd and things like that. A lot of the progressive rock and rock, r- classic rock and all those stuff. They, they were really big on all that. And um, parents were big uh, music lovers of big band music and Nat King Cole and Glenn Miller and Gene Krupa. Yeah, and I was growing up in the inner city Detroit 80s. So that was hip hop and the Def Jam uh, early records were all being played as we were playing Square, It's LL Cool J and that's outside and Mexican music at the next house over. Mm-hmm. And, the neighbors next door, they all listened to all the boys in their family, all listened to like the punky side of things, MC5 Stooges yeah, and right. that kind of stuff. Our, our family didn't really listen to that that much. I didn't get into that until I was a teenager, older. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was kind of a, a lots of different kinds of music going on. But my friends at school didn't listen to any of that stuff. It was only house music and rap and top 40 or whatever. When did you first, when did your love of music start? I think pretty early on, when I I started playing drums when I was five, Mm. uh, but my brothers had a drum kit up in the attic. So it was easy to go up there and mess around. And they didn't have a drum. They had a guitar player, bass player, and a keyboard player as my brothers already, that was our, those instruments were already taken. Mm. So, you know, drums were obvious for me to Mm. play around with. So I did that my whole childhood. I only wanted to play drums growing up. That was it. I used to practice in high school under the desk with my feet, you know do paradiddles with my feet and mm-hmm. uh, with tips of my fingers on my lap during classes and yeah, it was it was something I, I kind of considered that it would be a lifelong obsession along with whatever job I had.
3: Yeah, it would same. be drums and drumming yeah, yeah and then what was your first music that was your music,
2: not your family's music or, or what was coming from surrounding you? Great question. I think there were these these trickles of things in high school, which was uh, there was a punk you know, got into things like the cramps and stuff. And it led to this band, the Flat Duo Jets was a a really eye-opener thing. I went to a concert and I thought he really was like a modern Gene Vincent. And that kind of felt like that was my own. And then, uh, but it was also at the same time, there was Rage Against the Machine was happening. And that felt like that was new. That's something my brothers were, you know, maybe are a little bit older and wouldn't wouldn't have caught on to that in whatever it was, 1992 or something. Uh, so there was m- things like that. They weren't all the same genre. They were different spots. Mm-hmm. But I think that was kind of nice about when I came up. You know, yeah. I could be very much into Bob Dylan and uh, the band, and at the same time be into Rage Against the Machine and the Cramps. What
3: was the first Cramps record you heard? Do you remember?
2: Oh, it was a uh, Human Fly, oh. the song Human Fly from Gravest Tits, I think. Yeah, Gravest Tits. Yeah, yeah, it was a good one. Yes, I, mean, I still think that might be one of the top ten recordings ever made. That's unbelievable. It's just been it's unbelievable. Were,
3: that was the first punk rock show i went to was really? the cramps at irving plaza oh wow when i was in must have been high school but might have been junior high school wow and it was mind-blowing wow Just life-changing who else was on the with bill? the original with the original band with oh, great. with um nick knox Ivy, or, nick knox yeah. the original crew and uh uh brian gregory oh great. the original guitar player wow yeah fantastic i don't remember who was i don't even know
2: if there was anyone else on the bill oh. they,
3: it was definitely a cramps gig there may have been an opening act yeah yeah yeah. yeah but it yeah. wasn't
2: like a, a bunch of bands right right yeah my first punk show was fugazi wow, and that was another one. that was another band that good I, one. was kind of mine it was, it was great nation of ulysses warmed up and um where'd you see him play uh it was the majestic theater which i ended up playing in a great. couple of years later a few years later with the White Stripes and. There's a bowling alley there, and uh, there's a pool hall upstairs. We played the pool hall called the Magic Stick, and then the Majestic Theater as well. So, yeah, it was a cool little hub there, all in the cast corridor. And now, you know, it's great because a block away, we've built our third man records pressing plant from that zone. It's it's great to still be in that neighborhood creating. You got to be good
3: if you're playing in a place where there's a bowling alley. Yeah. Because. (laughs) Forget it. I'll just go bowling. Yes, like I, if, yeah, if this yeah, is no exactly. good, I'm bowling. <laughs> exactly, so everybody yeah. likes to bowl.
1: Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the
3: music really has to be good to take you away from bowling.
2: It, it's that you know you're making the perfect point because upstairs is, uh, as well, the magic stick. There was a whole the whole right side was all pool tables, and the left side was the people watching the show. And you could tell by if you were doing something interesting or not about how many people were playing pool. Yeah. And uh, how empty the tables were. And yeah, by the time the waist stripes got get going, it was the the tables started to empty out. And then we sold enough tickets where they were filling up with people standing there, not playing, yeah. watching us, uh, and that felt like yeah. It so you're making an interesting point. Yeah.
3: So when you started playing out in clubs, was there a scene of was there a garage rock scene in Detroit at that time?
2: Yeah, there was, and um, I was learning slowly about it. It was a band. Or the most important band from then was called the Gories. They were a three piece, a female drummer named Peg, who would only had two toms, no skin on the. F- kick drum she put her foot in the kick drum to hold it steady two toms and a tambourine duct taped to the kick drum that's it that was the drums and um two guitar players no bass very cool black black male singer white female drummer white male guitar player no bass no kick drum (laughs) so no bass no kick drum and such a unique sound and they they are the the kings of the Detroit garage rock scene still are when you were a kid, did you see them play live? They just had stopped um, p- performing when I was old enough to go to shows. So I, I just missed them. And they splintered into these other groups called the Dirt Bombs and Rocket 455. And I saw those bands. And I pl- ended up playing with those bands a couple of years later.
3: Mm-hmm. How old were you at this time when you just started
2: playing? This is like maybe I'm like 15, 16, starting to just just start to learn about playing guitar. And I only did that because the guy I worked in an upholstery shop with, he was a drummer too. So We were both drummers so in order for us to jam together i had to play guitar so that we could play together so we would move the furniture aside and, and bring out the drum set again at the end of the day sometimes It was a pretty amazing experience to be an apprentice and also get to play music i was like wow this is great, great. and then getting into this kind of music too and um this was another uh, band that was my own you know that felt like i owned this band for you know sure. and um then you know. Then we like actually got to meet them. We saw them. I remember seeing a uh, Dan Crow in a coffee shop in Detroit. Oh my God, that's Dan from the Glories. Yeah, it's uh it's wild because uh yeah. So you had that whole scene uh there with that, and then by the time I come out with the with doing the the white stripes in that scene, I was a little bit shocked they embraced us um so quickly and and things happened. We made a lot of friends pretty fast. I didn't have any friends. Yeah. Neither did Meg. And uh, we we uh all of a sudden wait wait a minute this guy likes the same music we do i never had this you see like i had a one friend in high school who plays bass with me still to this day yeah. he he liked you know the 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 deep purples and the Holland wolf records and stuff that i liked there was another kid i knew in the next block and he liked the beastie boys and we bonded a little bit on that but mostly everybody around me i went all mexican grade school all black high school they didn't like any of the same music as me so I wasn't used to like being in a group of lots of people, dozens of people, all like Iggy Pop and all like, you know, yeah, this stuff. Same. I, I, growing up, same for me. Yeah.
3: I was the only punk rocker in my school. It was lonely.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. It's wild. Yeah. It makes you question it at times. But I was always like, oh, well, I like this. And I, I, I kind of almost feel like you should have just loosened up a little bit or made some more friends, you know, yeah. if you've just been a little bit more... Uh, I just had such strong beliefs about uh, what what turned me on, you know, musically, artistically, and all that stuff. Do you think, because of the Glories, the idea of having a two-person group felt acceptable? Yes, the Glories and the Flat Duo Jets, both of them made. Accept, uh, acceptable idea that the way strips could be a thing interesting and then i'd come from playing the with this upholsterers group the two of us playing and yeah. that was just guitar and drums no bass yeah which was you know say to like my brother's world of music that was like whoa that's weird to have a band with no bass yeah but there was already two bands yeah the Goris and the fatu both didn't have a bass player like the Doors didn't have a bass player, but they right. still had
3: four people, and they had uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah they exactly had, yeah. And they, yeah still had four people and they still had that. Uh, and when I think of two person groups before the White Stripes, I think of Suicide, I think of Depeche Mode. Yeah, it's always electronic. It's never, it's Usually, never yeah, organic. Soft sell that, that, yeah, those yeah. are all the ones that come oh, to mind. All those, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, I thought though what was different about what we were doing was I had become so immersed and in love with the blues at that point that this would be a great way and obfuscation for m- me to be able to play that music and get inside of it and obfuscate with the red, white, and black color scheme and the male-female thing and, and, and the no bass player and all that other stuff, which I liked all of that yeah. and loved all of it and got a lot out of it. And maybe the blend of that with the blues was what we were. At the moment, I was like, this is my way of sneakily not getting called white boy blues Stratocaster nonsense, which was super uncool in that zone of yeah. that garage rock world at that time. Talk a little bit about the
3: colors. When did the idea of the black, red, and white become part of the vision of the band?
2: Yeah, the, uh, my, my uh, upholstery shop was yellow, black, and white. I'd, I'd, all the colors came from my tools and my, my power saws and my hand tools, upholstery hand tools. And then I had bought a yellow van. It was abandoned a like or an old used Detroit fire department van. And that's what I was going to do the deliveries from the furniture with. And um, I started to dress in yellow and black to do the deliveries and then do the bills in crayon and yellow and black crayon. And the artistic side of it took what was taking over. Did you own that company or were you an employee? Oh, I didn't know that you owned the company. Yeah, when I was 21, I had a mortgage. I had my own business. I was in three bands. Wow. I, I, I sometimes wonder, like, people must have thought I was really maybe crazy or insane or something because now if you saw like if you know if you had a 21 year old son that was doing all that be like, wow oh my god how can i help you can i you know blah you know or pat on the back or whatever i never heard anything like that from adults saying oh that's great you're doing that well, that's amazing you're nope. never heard anything like that and um
3: were they, not, were they just not
2: paying own. attention or what do you think? That's why, why yeah, I think maybe they just kind of thought like, oh, he's, a weird, he's weird and he's, he or he thinks he has a company or something. He yeah. probably doesn't really, or I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. Strange. Most upholstery companies mm-hmm.
3: don't have colors associated with those, them right, either. Yeah. What do you think triggered that idea?
2: If I had to pick one moment, there was a moment of uh i watched this uh, special on counterfeiting and they talked about this uh dutch designer and i don't know how to pronounce his name it's like O J oxenar but he had designed this uh currency that the five and the ten and the twenty dollar bills i don't know the name of the currency of there but it was you know this was purple was the five and blue was the ten and, and red was the 20 and you knew exactly what you had in your hands just by looking at it without looking at the number and I just really—that was really inspiring to me. Like, oh, instantly to know what something is, instantaneously, without having to have it written on the screen or written across your T-shirt. So everything I had to do with Third Man uh, Upholstery was going to be yellow, black, and white, and center around the number three as well.
3: Third Man was the name of the upholstery company, as yes, well. Yes, Third Man Upholstery. Yeah. Where did that name come from originally for the upholstery company?
2: That's a long uh, answer, but but it it's a—I uh, was actually the third upholsterer on my street uh there was an old guy named Clamp, and then the guy next door to me brian muldoon and then i was the third one also the street was called ferdinand street ferdinand, so third, ferdinand yeah. third man and i was also obsessed with the number three and also orson wells was my biggest idol at that moment especially yeah. uh so all of this came around yeah third man yeah your furniture is not dead was the, on my business card Great. was the slogan <laughs> which now with third man records it's your turntable's not dead and wow. so yeah
3: so you basically Whoa. keep um, retreading the same old tired
2: ideas from yeah. childhood. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It never goes away. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So that got transferred over to the White Stripes, which was instead of yellow, black, and white, it was red, black, and white. And how did that decision get made? How did it become red, black, and white? Uh, Meg said something about peppermint candies. I, lo- yeah. I love peppermint candies. Yeah. And we were at the drugstore. I said, oh, you know, that we've been playing this music. That should be on your bass drum, that, that peppermint. Uh, you, you should just paint it. I said, I'll paint it when we get home. I'll, I'll paint the I'll peppermint on your bass drum. That'll be funny. And then once we did that and the drum set was white and I thought, and she had black hair and I had black hair. And I'm like, oh, wow. Then I think maybe this is the three colors. Instead of I have a third man with yellow, black, and white, this would be red, black, and white. Yeah. For some reason, people missed the black part of it a lot. People always just say, oh, everything I do is red and white, red and white or whatever. So whatever. I don't care. But but it was actually supposed to be three colors. Yeah. I actually always thought of it as black
3: and white with red. Yeah. Just because black and white. It it always felt, felt monochromatic.
2: Yes. And now every all of my solo albums are all blue, white, and black, mm. and um, you know white's all colors and black is the absence of color, mm-hmm. and so he's really is he's only one color for each of these yeah. things: red or blue, yeah. yellow, the third man. When did you decide to start the label? That was sort of an accident when uh, our manager Ian Montone had gotten us. We were getting like this bidding war had started with the band. Probably because we stupidly didn't take the first offers that came to us, which were really generous. And, and we probably should have just, yes, right right away, sir. We're coming up with an album right away. And we, we didn't. We kind of thought, ah. I kept thinking, nobody's going to like this band in the mainstream six months from now. This We'll sign with these guys. They'll put out one record, and they'll drop us next year. And, and then that we're might have been be, right. Yeah. that That actually might have been right. Might have been. Yeah. So that was my each either very smart or very ignorant way of looking at at the time which led to a bidding war and then at that point it was sort of we could almost ask for whatever we wanted at that second which was very strange because like well what do you want i don't i don't know i knew i didn't want to owe anybody anything so i didn't take any big advances i just said well i want us to get paid for the records we sold yes so it's on up and up i don't owe anybody any favors yes. or anything like that i still feel that way today and um Worked. It worked out, and Ian got us our own label to sort of protect me and protect us. And you know, this imprint label name of uh, well, what are you going to call? I said, oh, well, Third Man Records, and um, that became we we licensed these people records from my label, yep. Third Man Records. So that was Ian's idea at the time as a protective insurance thing. How did Ian see you guys first? When? How did Ian see us? We would talk to somebody at Sub Sub Pop named Craig Aaronson. I think he's no longer. With us, I think. Uh, he started asking questions, which every label probably would or should. Uh, you guys ever think about getting a bass player and stuff like that? And we thought, uh, see, here we go. You know? This is what we've they always heard. They they're not going yeah. to try to change us into a regular band or something. And we didn't get mad or anything. We just thought, eh, maybe it's not for us. And then we would sit the next day and think, oh, God, are we so spoiled that we're going to have an attitude about a really nice opportunity? Like, so what? Maybe we should get a bass player if it means we get to make records and not have day jobs anymore. I don't know. So we go back and forth. Did you like the sound? like. Did you already
3: know the sound of the two-person group that you guys had, what
2: you were making,
1: Mm -hmm.
3: felt special to you?
2: It definitely felt special and felt right yeah. and felt good. Yes. If someone comes in the room and says, well, we're going to try to take this to the mainstream. Yeah, yeah. I would have said, that's not going to work. Right. I know, I'm not going to pretend like I know everything about music yeah. or the music business, but my vote would be, I wouldn't bet on that. Right. right. And um, it still shocks me yeah. that that connected with people. I, I mean, I remember coming home and then watching my nieces and nephews watching a our video of ours on MTV in the living room and thinking this is not making any sense. Yeah, it doesn't add up. It's like, it's almost like, let we kind of started justifying it by saying, you know what, maybe it's like why the Simpsons is so good, but it's also really popular. Maybe it's like that. <laughs> like, no, it couldn't be, <laughs> you know, or what? You know what I mean? I, uh, sometimes you just assume when you get into, like, especially in the hipster world, that get into really amazing, deep records that nobody's ever heard of. You start assuming good things are ignored, and 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 things that aren't very good are popular. You start getting into that rut, which is not really true, but you get into that rut at times, especially when you're younger. So it was confusing for us because we thought, does this mean we're not any good? If we're if we're getting well known, maybe that means we're no good, uh, or what we thought was special is not special.
3: Also interesting that that not only were there really no known two person rock bands in the world at mm. that time, yeah, yeah, there weren't even that many three men, you know, other no, than like there trios was, either, there yeah. was especially after Jimi Hendrix, like Jimi Hendrix, you'd think broke open the world
2: and Cream. Yeah, and but then after that, maybe the police, m- that's maybe. about it. Yeah, there's not very many. It's funny. It's bizarre. It should be hundreds. You'd think. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and then we saw that was maybe what started to bring us around. And then in the subsequent couple years after uh, White Blood Cells came out, there were several two-piece bands that had become signed to major labels, with the Kills and uh, Fiery Furnaces or yada, 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 all, all down the line. And we kept seeing that. Oh, I so, say, okay, so this is now... It's a I guess we proved we, we prove something to somebody. We weren't trying to prove, yeah, yeah, yeah. really, but it, maybe it, it, it proved something to somebody that maybe this is a path we could explore some more. And it was great,
3: because a lot of great music came out of that. And do, do you know if any of those bands existed before they heard The White Stripes? Mm. I'm, I'm going to bet they did. I, I don't know if they all did.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah but I, I I'm going to bet yeah. they
3: did, because there's, there's something interesting that happens when, when there's a movement, which yeah. you're part of a movement, mm-hmm that it doesn't just happen one, like it's not one leader and everybody follows. Yeah. It's like the time is right for this for some reason.
2: Yeah, there's other people in, in other bedrooms and garages doing similar yes. stuff. And, and, and now they have a chance to have a, some attention paid to them, brought out, brought out of the, into the daylight. And um, if something new that comes out that's novel, you, you will see maybe, maybe people will rush to find other things like it that are also legit and they might be, and then there definitely will be a second wave of copycat. And sometimes the copycat second wave is 10 times more successful yeah. than the first wave. Well, often. Yeah. Often. And, and then sometimes you, you see a little bit of copycat happen, and then that copycat morphs into something else. I remember when I first saw the Arctic Monkeys come on, I thought, wow, that guy's moving around like the car, guitar player in the strokes. Yeah. Like he's walking around, and he's holding his guitar high, yeah. uh, the Strat high, like he, like Albert in the strokes. Mm-hmm. I said, like, wow. Well, that's great. I mean, there's kids, you know, they are like, I don't know what they were, 19 or something. I was like, that's fine. And then look, the Arctic Monkeys morphed into their own thing, you know, very quickly. And their lyrics were so unique on their own. And there's nothing wrong to, to have that folk process of being inspired and taking it, trying to take it to another level and, and, and emulating uh, people you're I interested. think everyone
3: goes through that of, of like, yeah. it's the, the, you have to start somewhere to end up finding your own voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any way in is good. Yeah, yeah, I think so. If you can get
2: in at all, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. It seems like if you're inspired to make music, you're inspired to make it by someone. Yeah. And the first method when you're a kid is, well, I'm going to play it like that. Like, Mm that seems obvious. That's the the starting of it. And then it turns into whatever it's going to turn into.
2: If you were... Dylan coming up and you liked rock and roll in the fifties and the folk movement happened and and that inspired you. And he, he got, it seems to get really engrossed in that and abandons the more rock and roll side of him and embraces the folk side of him and gets very into these deep, older blind and lemon Jefferson songs and all this kind of stuff and becomes the new king of folk and, and changes the world. Subsequently, he doesn't lose that love of rock and roll. It's still in there. And, uh, and it does eventually come back around a few years later. I don't think you could ever suppress something like that if that kid was inside of you. That's the first taste of something. The first things I really liked, the, the Deep Purples and Led Zeppelins are going to be with me forever. It doesn't matter how, whatever bizarre punk band or strange thing I get into, that's still going to be down in there somewhere. And sometimes people will say, oh, I can hear that. That sounds like a, a smoke on the water or sounds like a, you know, like, ah, I I don't doubt it. You know, I, I, I don't doubt it. I don't run to try to copy that stuff of course. but I don't run away from it either and, and, and try to pretend that I, I don't like it or it's not part of me but I've never sat down and tried to copy someone else's thing on purpose I'm gonna do that because that worked for them so I'm gonna copy that and steal that yeah. I, I've never had that devious mustache twiddling yeah. thought in my mind of that yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like no these are things I like and I'll do my own thing I'll try to do my own thing and there's going to be moments where people say, oh, that sounds like that. And that sounds like that. I'm like, okay. Well, you can't live in a vacuum anyway. You're already playing an instrument and singing with your own vocal chords. I mean, someone's gonna say you sound like something. So don't worry about that. But let's just try to dive forward. What
3: were the blues things? You said at the beginning of the band, you were really deeply into the blues. Yeah. What was the blues at the time that was really speaking to you?
2: Oh, uh, Sunhouse and Robert Johnson and Holland Wolf and Charlie Patton. I was just getting into Charlie Patton brief slightly into it. But it was hard for me to understand it, and uh, mm-hmm. but I felt like that was something that felt real. It wasn't polished, and I, I, that's that same old story I suppose people have always said about the blues when they when they sort of discover it. But then you, what's kind of interesting about my time period of embracing that is. I got to instantly say, oh, okay, that's why Led Zeppelin and then the Yardbirds and the Yardbirds and Jeff Beck, and those guys were feeding off that record. And them with Van Morrison, they were listening to that blues record. Okay, so these guys resold the blues back to America from England Got it, and then Jimi Hendrix comes over to England from America, black, and also plays blues and sells that back to America, and you just start making all that uh, all those combinations. Yeah. Like, okay, great, yeah. Well, I guess I'm in good company then because I feel the exact same way. Maybe 30 years has passed, yeah, but I feel but like I'm almost, almost the same. Yeah, exactly. That's I think what, yeah. maybe it was yeah, all, it was time for it to be re uh, reevaluated or rediscovered in a way.
3: When you guys were first exploding, I'll say. What were the other things that would have been on the radio at the same time that you were on the radio?
2: Oh, so like, say, so what was like on alternative radio? Yeah, like what at the what time. would
3: have been played
2: before you and after you? Um, I remember now. I think it was the like the Limp Bizkit's and the new metal, I see. corn and I things. See. I think that's what was happening late late nineties, early two thousands. I think that's what was going on. Well, I had listened to alternative radio. Uh, in the early '90s, when I, I was in high school, then, yeah. so that was yeah, Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all that stuff and Rage Against Machine. Yeah, so I, I had all those records and listened to all that stuff. I almost never mentioned that when I talk like this either, yeah. which is it's kind of funny. I mean, that was actually a big part of my high school was yeah. those bands, and I and I sat listening to those albums with well, headphones. Well, if you like rock music, you going that, to yeah, you have to. You, exactly. you have to if
3: you're a kid. That's, right, that would be the
2: rock music of the day when you're growing up. Exactly. Yeah, it seemed like. In 1990, if you said the Beatles did something in 1969, that seemed like it was 50 years ago. It was only 20 years. I know, it's unbelievable. That's like talking to us, right? Talking right now about
4: the Voice Rex
2: records in 2001. I know. That seemed like it was five years ago. Yes. I don't know why time is so different, seeming. I think as you get older, time speeds up. Yeah, and we're when we're so. kids,
3: it, it you know a year seems like an eternity. Yeah, and now the years just fly by. Right, right.
2: Yeah, they just fly by.
3: <laughs> guy, we have a visitor. I didn't know he was sitting outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come on in. Come
5: on in. <laughs> hey, what's
2: going on? Hey, here?
3: man. Make yourself what comfy. <laughs>
2: uh, Neil! Well, man, how are you, buddy? So good to see you. Wow. You look great. You look great, too. Yeah, man. God bless. Wow.
0: When we come back, we'll have more from Rick Rubin, Jack White, and Neil Young, plus a special rendition of Jack's new song, A Tip From You To Me. Snag-A-Job is where America goes to hire
4: That's T-Mobile.com unconventional awards I'll save you a seat. Willie Nelson,
0: Waylon Jennings, Chris Christofferson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true, untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed the Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer songwriters, Wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast, Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. We're back with the rest of Rick Rubin's conversation with Jack White and their surprise visit from Neil Young at Shangri-La.
2: How cool to see you here.
1: Yeah. Well, I heard sit, you were sit, here. Sit in, Rick,
5: in the middle, sit in the middle. Rick told me you were here. and uh, yeah.
1: Oh, man. So here
2: we are. Cool. That's great. Oh, so you've been Sitting recording. out there... Uh, Having a beer. Oh, nice! I you
5: guys, uh, kind of doing some stuff, you know.
2: Excellent. How's it been going here?
5: It's great. Yeah. We finished. Uh, what it we took us three weeks? Something like that. Yeah.
2: I saw the trailer for the uh, the Crazy Horse uh, uh, barn. Uh, oh yeah! Movie that looks oh, really yeah. cool. Oh, we
5: had a good time doing it. Yeah. That. yeah it's great. that's great. Daryl made a movie about it. It's fun. It's just great. I mean, shit. Yeah. The youngest guy in the
2: band is seventy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Man. It was it's, fantastic. We had a great time. It's you know, i I've been putting on an album recently, so everyone keeps asking, you know, these these questions about like, well, so, you know, where are things gonna be for you, you know, when you're, you know, sixty years old and eighty years old? And I just keep saying, like, it's really nice. It's a nice position to be in to have, you know, Bob and Neil and Tom Waits have already proven there's these things that can happen and, and can continue yeah because i remember you know when i was 12 and the rolling stones were 40 and everyone's like oh my god can you believe the rolling stones go are? yeah and yeah. um it's it's so nice that you guys are able to sort of prove that to what do you think Rick? what's your opinion about like hip-hop guys when when they're 80 you know you never know what I mean, do you pe- yeah. people like hearing the songs? You know, yeah, people.
5: Right. exactly. They'll be doing something, yeah. It, you know, if they got the spirit, they'll be cranking something out. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah. You know what? What else can we do? when We get right down to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's really nothing. Else. <laughs> Everything else is fun. <laughs> A little relief here and there. Exactly. But the real deal is to make the music, and you know, whether you know, however you make it.
2: Absolutely.
5: But we had a good time. We we were in here and had a great time for three weeks. Oh,
2: that's great, man. That's great.
5: Yeah, I feel good about it. Yeah.
2: Did you play uh, acoustic, electric, both, or was like?
5: I played a little electric. I played electric on one on two songs. Oh, great! And everything else, I played unheard of combinations of instruments. Oh, great! Just, you
2: know. Nice.
5: Become a, a, a kind of a funk pipe uh, pump organ.
2: Oh yeah. Punk,
5: pump organ? Yes,
2: yes. Or pump, funk. Pump, <laughs> 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 funk. Punk. That's what they'll be doing, pump, funk. That's it. <laughs> so pump. that,
5: and you combine that with a, a marine band, you know, through an octave divider into a little deluxe. <laughs> oh. And combine that with the punk, pump, funk thing happening. Oh, nice. The, you know, it's cool.
2: No, it's no,
3: good. good. We can play you stuff if, oh, you're, if you'd like yeah, to yeah. hear. That'd I'd be,
5: love to. Yeah, but you're, you're, then when we capture you like that, you know, you've got, you've got a commitment to
3: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it could be music. It's up to you. It's up to you, yeah. but if you want to hear it, you Hell can hear yeah. it. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's fresh. It was a fun experience and, and different than certainly for me, different than any, than any that I've ever been involved in.
2: Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. and That's inspiring. Great. It's a good vibe here, too. Yeah, it's
5: great. It started off with uh, I was taking a walk in the woods up in Colorado, you know, yeah. in the wintertime, and I was walking along whistling. And I and I heard this. I said, "That's the same song I was whistling yesterday." Yeah. I don't know what it is. Uh, you know. So I got out my flip phone and recorded it. Yeah. Once I've done that, the next day I walked out whistling a whole new song.
1: Oh my god!
5: And I did it like day after day after day till I had like ten different melodies with no instruments, just.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's great.
5: <laughs> so cool, going like, through the trees and and. Singing into this old, uh, you know, whatever it was, black thing, yeah, yeah, and and then I put it on my computer and, I, I I listened to them all and said, well, that's that melody. This is that melody. This was that day and everything because I didn't organize it. Yeah. So I got it in there and then I put them all. And I listened to them. And I said, shit, you know, might be something here. I can yeah. It. They're all here. They oh, came.
1: All so these great.
2: melodies. Where did this shit come from, man? I'm telling you, man. It's that's like the antennas. It's like antennas, and, and, and if you're lucky to have a little tiny, little silver antenna for a minute in your life to just pick up a, a frequency like that, yeah, yeah. you know? It's amazing. All Magic.
5: In, you know, all we have to do is be there. Yeah, yeah. You can't ever ignore it for a second. Yeah. You come, you're there. That's, you know, right. that's your boss. That's yeah. true. Yeah. That's the muse. you got to yeah. go with it. And
2: like it. it goes fast. Yes. Oh, yeah. If you don't because catch it, it's gone. It's, gone. it's gone. You know, and it's gone. Yeah. Too. There's you know so many times where you woke up in the middle of the night and, and played something and I'll remember that, and go back to sleep, I'll remember that, and no nope. Never happens. Nah, no,
5: yeah. you gotta jot, you yeah. gotta do something uh, uh, you know, some kind of sound. Yes. Yeah. So I did that and I wrote, I, I, I had this combination and stuff and I, I was listening to it on the computer and it was like, not this last moon, but the moon before that, mm. right on the moon, I wrote eight songs in two days. Oh, great. All the (laughs) lyrics going crazy. And and it was cool. And I ended up looking at them on the computer, which I, after I spell corrected everything, which is a mess. (laughs) And I did it. And then, and I haven't changed a fucking
2: word. Oh, great. Or
5: a punctuation mark or anything. Oh, great. So it was like a direct shot. It just came, I had no idea what was going on.
2: That's a good sign already. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, without hearing any of it, that's a good sign. I was going to send you this uh, track uh, the other day. I just got the mix done recently. This uh, song I thought maybe you'd like is going to be on this record I'm putting out. Can I play you a second order? Yeah.
1: Ask yourself if you are happy And then you cease to be That's a tip from you to me And it's worked for sure I don't ask myself for nothing anymore My peace is freedom from the masses Cause the masses cannot see That's a tip from them to me And now I know for sure I don't need nobody's help now anymore hard for you. It's so hard to be the one who knows it's true. Walking through the park, my fingers clenching tight. Then I notice that I'm all alone tonight. And it's hard to tell for sure. If I even need to think now anymore Oh, will I be alone tonight Night. Oh, I don't
3: know Cool. How'd you write it? Nice.
2: Cool song. Thanks. How'd it, how'd it come to pass? This was, um, uh, as a quote, uh, from, um, John Stuart Mill, I said, ask yourself if you're happy and then you cease to be. So I just said said that, you know, ask
1: yourself if you are happy and then you'll cease to be. And I was just staying there and then I just... Ask yourself if you are happy And then you will cease to be That's when those moments come Where you're
2: like, oh, thanks, that happened Thank yeah. thank God that happened And yeah. now you can... The rest is easier yeah. like, oh, yes. cool. great, man. It reminded me of some of uh, your things in the past too So I, I thought I was cool. going to send that to you I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, send yeah, it to I you when oh. oh, I oh. get back I, I love, you know, a love of yours... Um, Besides the record we just did in the booth yeah, of Lesley, <laughs> was that, cool? that was the be- that was that the was best. That was a fun record. Oh man! I mean, what a concept we yeah. did a great
5: record in, uh, in, in Jack's booth, where you you know you go and be in a fair or something, you put ten cents in or something and or mm. a quarter or whatever, and record a record yeah. to your girlfriend and send yeah. it to her, you yeah, know? Yeah. whatever your mom
2: or whoever. <laughs> that was yeah. really cool. It's direct we, to vinyl. Direct, direct to vinyl in the yeah. booth. Vinyl then yeah. you
5: send the vinyl to somebody.
2: Yeah, yeah, you can mail it to them. It's yeah. funny. We had somebody in the, the third man shop a few weeks back, and they were saying, and we were showing them the booth. You're like, "Yeah, so you, re- you can record a record in this booth." And goes, "Ah, oh, wow, that's cool." And you know what? Now that I think of it, I saw Neil Young messing around with one of these on TV <laughs> once. <laughs> said,
1: this is the booth. Yeah, that, yeah, funny. Yeah,
2: <laughs> this is great. Uh, um, oh, but uh, what I was gonna say was, is that track you did, the uh, "Oh Susanna," that, oh, the yeah. version of "Oh Susanna" you did. I love that man, that really was something. Yeah. It's got a whole vibe to it. Doesn't it? You know yeah. who did
5: that originally? Was the the Thorns.
2: Oh really? You remember them? No. Or
5: Tim Rose. Okay, okay. yeah, Tim and Rose. Yeah. yeah. Uh so the group that he was from was called the Thorns. The Thorns, okay. It was just part of the Thorns. Okay. And the Thorns did folk rock things. So they took classics like that. And they did that arrangement. I, I heard that and I went, Oh, wow, the okay. the
2: greatest ship. Oh, I gotta, gotta go check heard. that out now, yeah. Yeah, the Thorns,
5: check them out. They, they got a lot. Yeah. You know, and then I did Come On The Mountain When She Comes and all this, I just yeah. kept going. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was, it was a great respond, idea. a kind of fun thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, I had fun
2: with that. That was great. There was those wild moments in the, those 60s uh, folk bands at the, the Fairport Conventions and the, the, you know, all the different ones that were trying to, like, find a little zone um, to... Uh, but sometimes they were doing this novelty, like old, uh, you know, uh, John Brown would hit the, the hammer and the blah, 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 and then whatever, uh, uh, hammer in the morning and all that stuff, and, and working into like a, a rock pop song or whatever. But then there's novelty of songs, and then there's ones that actually crack through that, wow, they actually stumbled on something amazing, right? Yeah. They're like synthesizing two different genres. Cool that must have been wild, like when you, because you, you were there with that, uh, with Buffalo Springfield and those early moments of people embracing country and rock and roll and yeah. blending yeah. them together. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah.
3: Was it clear that the folk revival was a revival at the time?
5: No. It was just folk music.
3: It was just folk. It wasn't m- a
5: revival because folk music never really goes anywhere. It is. Yeah. It's not here and then gone and back. it's just always here it just depends on if you want to go there everybody kind of went there and then the rock thing was happening folk and rock it was a happening time you could do a lot of stuff it was cool it was cool to be able to you know I would go and play a little club and then I'd read about how I was cliche ridden uh, (laughs)
2: I'm, going, I'm in the paper, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the <Shea Ridden. laughs> Did you know about his uh, uh, band that he was in with Rick James yeah. for a minute? Isn't oh, yeah. that, that great? Yeah. Incredible! That was wild. Stuff. Incredible. I lived with Rick. Amazing.
5: In an apartment in uh, on the street just off of Yonge Street in Toronto. Amazing, what a character! <laughs> we had a great time.
2: That's I mean, what I'm I mean, referring to earlier. That's those are those moments where like people are trying to put something together that maybe has like a whole false fake idea or shitty producer behind it or some guy is like a money guy or something but there's these amazing moments that that could have turned into the greatest band of all time who knows who
1: knows
3: right it was on it's
5: way and we uh you know we tried we did what we could we got busted for uh was a draft or something and uh then our uh our manager OD'd he was on heroin he OD'd so what happened really next night.
2: year, what you week, how, how, how long was that period after that finished where you were like, didn't know what to do next? Three months or so before yeah.
5: Springfield, you know, we thought Bruce Palmer and I from the Minor Birds went to, went south. <laughs> Still going south.
3: Minor Birds flew south. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh
5: shit. Should we play? You oh hear man, it? Yeah, could yeah. I? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd
2: love to hear
3: Let's play. play you up for an entire experience? Of course, yeah. Why not? Most us play you,
2: man. Wow, what a trip, huh? For real, for real. Congrats! Nice. Great, great songs and great tones, and the vibe is great. And it's really it's got
3: different, this, isn't it? Like it sounds, yeah. it sounds obviously like him, but yeah, the songs are different. Yeah, but I think it's because it, the
2: way they were written. Yeah, it, it has that. Um, it has a, a feeling like you had a melody, like you're talking about. If you yeah. hadn't said that, I would say maybe you had melodies first. And yeah. then added added and later added to words. them, right. so that's it, it makes sense. Nice.
5: Yeah, what a trip.
2: Yeah, it must be nice to have a band of guys like that. You can just keep coming around well, for know, so that's long. That's the groove.
5: Yeah. You know, they're there.
2: Yeah, you're lucky. That's really great yeah, to have. I them. know. I know.
5: Yeah. I I count myself very lucky with Crazy Horse.
2: Awesome.
5: You know, Ralph and Billy and Nils. It's great. It's awesome.
3: Uh, they really can't help but sound like themselves. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah, yeah, like it's it's completely their trip. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're great.
2: They are great. It's, it's
5: uh, amazing stuff.
2: What is that echo on the guitar? What is it? It's uh,
4: Echoplex. Echoplex, and, and, okay.
5: Uh, also every once in a while an analog, MXR analog, analog delay. Okay,
1: yeah. Every once in a while. Yeah.
5: Mostly the Echoplex. Oh, great. But I got four different settings for it with how much echo.
1: The sliding bar? Yeah. Yeah,
5: but it's a foot thing. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's the it's the volume of the effects that I have four levels on.
2: It's just a lot of. Well, stuff. how much? How loud the echo yeah?
5: How is. loud it goes? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So I have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Oh wow. baby. Nice. How long is that last track? That's a that's a that's the cl- like album closer. Right? 13 yeah.
5: Minutes nice. Something like that. Right. Great. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. You guys continue on. Cool. Cooler. Uh, Good the, vibe
2: though, no? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's really nice. It's um it's it's just i I, i'm just devastated like how how clean his and clear his voice is yeah and how at you know at times i wish i mean i feel like i i can't get as clean as i was when i was in my 20s um at times and and trying to uh i had uh i worked with tom jones on one little 45 once and he had Gave me that same vibe, which is like, man, it's almost like there's like a water faucet in the back of your throat, cleaning off these uh, vocal cords. Tom chords. Jones's voice is unbelievable. It's just creamy, it's good. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah, people take it for granted. I think yeah. it's 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 pretty impressive, especially in person. Absolutely. You know, that's how he He sounds like he's 25 years old there. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm vocally on that, you know, so clean, and um, I've been trying to get into that lately more often too. Like finding some songs where I can hold notes longer and exemplify them more. I always feel like I'm not a singer, I'm like a just a vocalist. Oh, just, you're a singer,
5: you, know, you gotta do that. Thank man. you. Know, just you a, that. Go for the long one, go yeah. longer yeah. than you thought. Okay, yeah. Or just just go, go, Yeah. because you know? that'd be a, a new area. Right, right. Who knows what's at the other end of the note. Right, right, right. right. You, should, you could definitely go
3: there. There's, There's also one. something cool about when you're pushing the boundaries of your ability, that sounds really interesting. Mm. Like when you can, like when you sing something that you can't really sing, you yeah, can when almost sing for it, it, yeah. And you don't really make it, but yeah. there's a there's a yeah. honesty in that. Yeah, that just feels good. I think that's
2: why, I like the band, the yeah. band's back background vocals. Yeah. they seem like they always be They're reaching for notes for that they can't really right. hit, and it's yeah, it's great. It's yeah. just great. The attempt you can hear the attempt, and you and you, you and you give it a grace. You you allow it. it you don't. Yeah. You don't really need it to actually succeed. Successfully hit that note, or maybe they go past it, like Neil said. But the yeah, there's a beauty to it, right? And if we listen, you know, to the old records that we love, there's a lot of stuff
3: that's out of tune and out of time.
1: Oh God, and yes. all the time. Oh
2: God, all yes, the time. Yes. It's well, like, my favorite Neil uh, vocal is uh, you know tonight's the night that that tone. That's great. And then you know I he's tired of me asking you know what mic and he used and what, what was going on when, when we were working before together, and it's. You know, whatever circumstances around that—the recording in the room, whatever—there's, yeah. there, there's, there's mistakes, there's feedback, there's all that. But who cares? Nobody yeah, cares. The feeling, yeah. yeah, the feelings in there. It's, it's well, it's great yeah. to see you, Jack. I'm oh, gonna man. take off. So great to see you too. What a great surprise! Great. This like, woke up this morning. I didn't think I was gonna be seeing you. How
3: good oh, is this?
2: Yeah, it's great. Well, good yeah. luck, man. Thank
3: you. See I'll you later. See, right see right. you later, sir. I'll be around. Have later. fun. I'll probably see in in a couple of days.
5: Yeah. Yeah. See ya yeah,
2: Looking good, man. Sounding good.
3: Thank you. Thank Great. you. Too. All right. All right
2: now. Later, man. That was a yeah. nice treat. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 those are the. It's something funny. It's, there's something funny about, like, I think people said, you know, when you're. um. Uh, like, when you can afford it, all of a sudden they start giving you free jeans and yeah. uh, stuff like that. When, when you, we, you know, they didn't give it to you when you couldn't afford it. That's when you needed the yeah, free yeah, jeans. Yeah. It's something funny about that. Like when you get into like, um, I mean, for, to make it short, like show business or yeah. something. You know, I, I didn't think I was going to see you or Neil today. I woke up, yeah, and here you are. And the other day I was in Vegas, and next door to my room, uh, Bill Burr, the comedian, is Incredible. next door. I, that, if I was just a regular Joe Schmoe still doing upholstery, he, Bill Burr wouldn't be next to me in the hotel room. You know what I mean? It's a trip. It's something about, you, you manifest to the universe and somehow it just kind of makes out. It's you bump into somebody uh, out of a crowd of 50,000 people, you bump into the one person you were supposed to bump into. And you're like, so how cool. could that happen? So cool. It's amazing. It's like the thing to really hold on to, like to, to stay positive about it. Because you know, I, yeah. I, I, I also think that we manifest our fears. You know, we, we put out yeah. what we're afraid of and they happen. Yes. We make them happen because yes, yes. we, we stress on them so much.
3: Yeah, you know, our thoughts
2: really have tremendous uh, power. Yeah, it was well, great, man. I'm glad you guys played that for me. You know, that's that's a nice treat.
3: Yeah, tell me about um, how your approach to making music from the beginning mm. to now. How has it changed over the course of your life?
2: Some of the stuff is um, I'm still making it as hard on myself as possible as I've always done. You know, trying to not take the easy way out, and you know, sitting in there when, when I start feeling like it's going well. I either I'll either consciously or subconsciously I'll throw a monkey wrench in the works and and make it more difficult. Uh, I'm playing a bass part. Oh, I've never played fretless bass. Let's try that. That'll that'll be harder, <laughs> and it is harder. And then you, know, you try it, and then now I'm in a place. Now I'm if it's good, I can be proud of it because I know that it was a hard, more difficult yeah. challenge than it was to take the easier way out. So I still do that all the time. Mm-hmm. And some stuff you you realize, like I, these records I just made recently, that you get in there like, oh wow, okay, I knew how to get that kick drum sound, and we did it. And I I bought that microphone, and I I own the studio, and we made it. And I bought the studio and bought that microphone so I could make that sound. Yeah, and there I did it. Wow, I actually did it. That whole thing worked. Yeah, and it's because I learned that mic works in when, 1998, and then in 2012 I learned that compressor worked. Uh, and thankfully, those things, you, you can hold on to those and you remember them and they actually can work yeah. on a functional level. Like yeah. a carpenter would say, yeah, that's the right saw, chop saw for the mm-hmm. two by four, table saw for the plywood, whatever, you, these perfunctory things. And that applies to yeah, compression and EQ and these kind of things. Stuff I could care less about in the 90s and early 2000s, I didn't care about any, I don't want to know the name of that microphone. I don't even want, I like the shape of it. Don't even tell me the name. I used to be very much about that. But luckily, over time, I've held on to those, and they actually do work. So you feel okay. That's good. At least, at least, if the songs are, is there a moment where there's no songs there, or I'm trying and there's, nothing's coming out, at least I have some sort of workman-like hardware store, workman-like things that I can accomplish mm-hmm. to to set the table. Mm-hmm. You know?
3: Anything different on more philosophically or conceptually that's mm-hmm. different than when you were young?
2: Philosophically. Um, well, the sad part, the one sad negative thing I don't like about sort of having, writing songs when you're more well-known to people rather than when you're just by yourself in an attic or garage is that I, at times, will give up on a, a line or a title because I don't want to have to talk about it. I don't want to have to answer questions about I it. I don't want to have it, oh, they're going to assume I'm talking about myself or they're going to assume I'm talking about my girlfriend or my ex-wife or something like that and it's like even though i I, i'm not writing like that they might think that yeah well it's not even worth it just scratch it off and write something else and that's a shame because i I shouldn't do that and i shouldn't have to do that but it's just picking your battles so that's different from when i was younger
3: that's interesting since it's a shame yeah we're gonna we'll right now we have this opportunity I am going to give you permission <laughs> <Yes>. going forward <laughs> that anything that you write that you like, you can say it without ever worrying about having to talk about it. <laughs> Thank you. I give you that permission. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And you, and you can do it. Problem solved. Exactly.
1: <laughs> That's it's amazing because it
3: really is. It's like these things, these
2: boundaries we put up for ourselves, they really are mindsets.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know? Yeah society goes through different phases too there's things people are sensitive about right now that they were not sensitive about 10 years ago and things five years from now that we don't know are going to happen and as we all know but you if you're lucky enough to to be uh sharing with enough people that it's a topic of of possible conversation to interpret the new neil young record and how it relates to earth and how how, uh what, what he might be saying what message he's trying to say if you're lucky enough that people find a relevance in what you're doing mm-hmm. part of you owes it to 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 be able to stand behind what you're trying to put out in the world mm-hmm. and you know I was never I've never been a big fan of people who are like yeah I don't know what that means whatever yeah I don't care That's a little too easy like for me not not I'm not saying that good art doesn't come from
3: yeah
2: writing abstract things uh, you know do you, you always know that. what it means i always hope i always have hopes i think i think i i I can see where i was thinking of this character and what Mm -hmm. i was attempting him to try to figure out or him or her Mm -hmm. and then i have hopes that this word can be taken three different ways Mm -hmm. and i hope maybe people take multiple paths with it and multiple different people take different paths with it never been excited about this is what it means and this is what i want you to think it means And that's why I'm not the biggest fan of like sort of a lot of modern singer songwriter is this is about me and my boyfriend breaking up or me and my girlfriend breaking up. And I want you to know about it. And when you sing it, think of me breaking up with my boyfriend. I mean, why would I want to put you through that? You know, why should you relive my thing? It's it's better to, for me, it's better to find uh, some kind of neutral zone where these are characters that people can, multiple people can get multiple ideas from. Rather than one thing etched in stone, were
3: lyrics important to you from the beginning? Yes, yeah. There's, as, there's, even as a fan before you before you made music, the lyrics as well as the music always from the beginning.
2: Yes, and you know I remember even being a, a, a young kid and and getting you know sometimes you would be. Um, hopeful that something had deeper meaning and th- thought, say, grew up thinking, oh, that, that has such a deeper meaning, and then finding out an article later, like, oh, no, that was just a Little Richard song we copied or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, okay. I still got some meaning out of it. And maybe that's kind of what I'm just saying right now. Yeah. Like, it, 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 you, your, your hope is that people will get deeper meaning on their own if they can, yeah. you know, if it succeeds in some way.
3: I feel like there's, there's a, and tell me if this is right, there's always a traditional theme running through your work, where it's like, feels like it always has historical roots. Mm. Is that, would you say that that's, first of all, is it accurate from your perspective? And if so, is it on purpose? Or is it just by loving so much music over the course of your life that mm. it happens that way?
2: It's like, it's a that's a compliment, you know, that you, you just gave me. And it's a compliment, even if it wasn't true, I yeah. think. It's, it's a compliment to, to feel that that's way. That's how
3: I hear it. I, I yeah. hear it as there's always some it's it's got roots and mm. i love roots music you yeah, know yeah, i love yeah. i love uh where it comes from
2: well there there's an interesting thing about that i mean a lot of the you know like coming up in in different rock and roll wars and you talk to other contemporaries and stuff they're working on and a lot of um, artists and writers and guitar players and drummers and stuff they they don't uh, have much depth in their history or or love of music or anything and so what who cares yeah and then there's people that do and then there's guys who are like you know, super nerdy and obscure and, and way go way too deep, you know, and have lost the beauty of music uh, uh, through the minutiae of it, you know. Mm-hmm. I've always tried to keep, you know, one foot in and out of that world if I can. Mm-hmm. I like to know a little bit about amplifiers, but not how to fix them. I like to know a little bit about this genre of music, but not enough where it swallows me up and I become obsessed with only that. And it, so it gets me the ability to do this and that. Even in engineering and production and stuff, I try not to really get too hands-on because I know how I am. I could get in there and be, become a knob jockey guy who all he does is worry about the levels of compression and stuff rather than keeping half of my brain in the world, being able to create in songs and 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 write and, and perform them and all that stuff. And it's been a pretty good balance. I've, I've kept a pretty good balance over the years of trying not to get too involved in one aspect of it i get jealous at times when you see people like oh wow he's just a guitar player oh yeah. that would be nice or that's just a producer or just a singer even the word justice sounds like it's an insult but it's not to me it's no. like i'm jealous of it because it's like wow it'd be great you could just concentrate on that one thing yeah. you could get really really good at that yeah you know if that's your yeah
3: if you did one thing
2: but um at the end of the day i'm, I'm lucky that my brain wants to be active in these different spots and uh, so i I'm, I'm happy about it feel good about it when did you
3: buy the uh, pressing plant or the, the, the yeah. record press?
2: Yeah, I started building that in, like, I think 2015. Um, and then I think it opened in 2016. And it's uh, it's wild. It's great. And there was times where I am like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have done that. This is a lot of work and a lot of, like, boring economic and, you know, making widgets at a factory work and having lots of employees and insurance and all those things that are... Not that interesting. To Tell me about the space. The
3: space and you have, how many machines do you have?
2: Um, yeah, I don't know the square footage, but it's pretty giant. It used to be like a parking structure. It used wow. to be where they, they, they made Willie's Jeeps. It was yeah. like a Willie's Jeeps great. kind of little assembly place. And um, we have eight manual machines and I think now coming up on six automatic presses. And we can do about between five and 8,000 uh, records a day. Incredible. There, which is great, yeah. Incredible. And the wait period now is, you know, eight to 10 months for, for vinyl in the vinyl industry. Yeah. So, you know, Third Man had a lot to do with uh, this vinyl resurgence, making this come to this fruition like this. And right now we're in the mode of, you know, sort of this year has been, this last couple of years are like the Taylor Swifts and Paul McCartney's, you know, putting out multiple variants of a record. And it's just amazing because it's, it's just great. It's, it's turning on a, yet another generation of kids and teenagers onto this physical format are the machines old machines um no they're all brand new and they still yeah. they're still being made when we opened the plant there were no companies making new vinyl presses and in the first year we opened and started and we were about to start a couple of companies started up around the world in europe and and in canada and um now there are several now there's five i think making presses where are all of the old machines Do they get scrapped? That was the problem. Like we were about to open a plant, and then the only way you can put presses in was to buy old presses from somebody else, and they're hard to come by. Like hounds teeth. Like I need. Usually, other giant uh, plants would buy them up if they came available, because you know you're not going to see it again. Yeah. So is it similar to like buying an old mixing desk? Not as peaceful as uh, the, the mixing desk, where you could actually find a few guys to. Really know how to fix it. It's such a small group of people wow. that know how to work on them. But, you know, there's machinists who can work on any kind of machine yeah. and stuff. There's those guys. But there
3: was a time when there were many, many of these machines. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. So what
2: happened to those Great question. I think they were junked. Wow. You know, it's so wild because you you can never get a square answer about this stuff. I was talking to um, Martin Scorsese recently about the Technicolor machines. Yeah. What happened to all those Technicolor machines? And he said that they got sold to China and they weren't being used anymore anywhere else, but they were still being used in the film industry in China. So a lot of them went there, but I think a lot of them just get junked. We had uh, had a talk with Martin Mills, who runs Beggar's Banquet label, Mm In Europe, and he uh, was telling me this interesting thing because we were saying, "Yeah, we have to wait, you know, eight months now if we want to." Even at my own plants, I got to get in line, which is crazy. And he said, "Yeah, well, we, what we'd have in Britain is, you know, we put out a single, and by Tuesday we would get that chart uh, number. And if it was in the top twenty, if you had a song in the top twenty, like he had with uh, Gary Newman uh, mm-hmm. and Cars and and our friends Electric and stuff, then you could get on top of the pops. But that meant you had to have." You, they would call in an order of 25,007 inches that had to be in the stores by Friday morning for the weekend sales. So in two days' time, they could press 25,000 records wow. and have them in stores wow. with record sleeves. Wow. Unimaginable yes. at this moment in time. Yes. Even if there was not a humongous demand, that would be very hard to pull off. But they had just so many presses and so many plants back then.
3: And are the, um, like, is the vinyl usually available? The pellets? Is that yes. what it is? Tell, yes. me, tell me the process. I know nothing yeah. about it. Tell me the it's process. It's just
2: PVC plastic, the same as in a PVC pipe. Wow. So, yeah. So, e-
3: so easy to get the materials. Yes. It's just the machines.
2: Just the machines and the the manpower and knowledge to run those machines efficiently. Mm-hmm. You know, you could turn a press on and have some guy who knows what he's doing pressing, and that press could break down in six hours. You know, something's going wrong. You're using steam and pressure and... Who knows? There's a bunch of moving parts that can go wrong. How big is the machine? It's about the size of a refrigerator. The 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 manual refrigerator laying oh, so down, standing up, standing yes. up. Yes, it's, it's an upright machine. Yes, and then the automateds are sort of like a giant, like car-sized, almost uh, uh, wide and tall, because they have spaces where the the, the when the, when the record's done pressing, it goes and rests and uh yeah
3: you know. So knowing about supply and demand, we see there's tremendous demand to have these things made. Yeah yeah why have not all the companies who are making all these things why have they not retooled and
2: i think that i think uh, it comes down to probably people my guess would yeah. be people who, who are on the boards of of those major labels yeah. which i i've been pleading to them to be rebuild their pressing plants again i think they really need to do it it's in their best interest and i think they will make a lot of money doing yeah. it and help their artists in lots of big ways but I think what it is, it's a little bit in their mind. Like if you were in a board meeting and you want to be the guy to, to champion this idea, we should build a pressing plant. You're taking a big risk yes. of being on a losing team that yes, year yes. if it doesn't work out and you will lose your job. So I think that's, what a, that's probably the number one problem with corporations yeah. is people don't want to be on a losing team yeah. and get their evaluation at the end of the year showing you were on team loser and you're, you're gone. So a lot, a lot of risks don't get taken. Luckily, like in a place like Third Man, where it's sort of like a sole proprietorship, yes, we do nothing but take risks all day long. Uh, everything we do is a bad business move. Yes. And in the end of the day, somehow it all makes sense and we, we're, we pay the
3: bills with it somehow. Based on that bad business move and based on it working now, is there no feeling that you can expand drastically and yes. open up pressing plants all over the country and you do what they're
2: not doing? I'm in a debate about that. I mean, right now, at the pace that we're at with twelve presses that I have, yeah. I, I'm looking at right now probably another eight years before I get all my money back that I put into this place. So, you is know, it is it every really? time you get a dollar, you kind of want to put that dollar back into the plant yeah. and buy another press? Yeah. But then it just keeps extending yeah, this yeah, time yeah. period yeah. of of actually breaking even. Which I guess who cares? Yeah. Um, one side of my brain, I who cares. Another side of my brain, it kind of feels negative. But I think what a lot of people do is not what I'm doing where I use my own money to fund all this stuff. Yes. They would really just get a lot of other investors mm-hmm. and I would just own 10% of the company or something and they would all get the profits or something like that. But I don't think it's not that kind of a profitable business, you know, where we're selling pizza or T-shirts or something where it's easy to sell to somebody. Yeah, this is but easy it's money. it's something
3: that you're uh, an advocate for. It's
2: different. It's, it's mm. like it's got,
3: yeah. it's,
2: not, it's not, the beauty
3: is it's not pizza. Right, <laughs> do you right. know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, pretty, it's an interesting uh, possibility. Yeah. Interesting I mean, possibility.
2: I, I would, I, and I would like it. And I've, off, I've thought about other things about maybe there's a, a secondary thing where I, I, I do that with investors yeah. and build those plants under a different company yes. or a, a different wing of third man. Yes. My first hope would be right now that people who have a billion dollars where it's just nothing to them to yeah. build a plant. I mean, they yeah. should just do it. So, But who knows? We'll see. Super cool. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. It's Thanks. super cool. I'm so glad yeah. you did it. Well, it was great, man. Rick, thanks for talking to me. My
3: pleasure. Thank you (laughs) for doing this. This is great.
0: Thanks to Jack White for coming through Shangri-La to hang with Rick and to Neil Young for stopping by as well. You can hear Jack White's latest album, Entering Heaven Alive, along with all of our favorite songs from him, The White Stripes, and a sampling of his many side projects at brokenrecordpodcast.com. Also be on the lookout for details on Neil Young's new album with Crazy Horse, produced by Rick Rubin very soon. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast where you can find all of our new episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Broken Record. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Ben Taladay, Eric Sandler, and Jennifer Sanchez, with engineering help from Nick Chaffee. Our executive producer is Mia Lobel. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you like this show and others from Pushkin, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted, ad-free listening for four ninety-nine a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. And if you like the show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music by Kenny Beats. I'm
4: Justin Richmond. Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora. To inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry, and me. I'll be there too. Enter now at tMobile.com/unconventional Awards. See you there.